Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we take a look at modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things Group. And today we're talking about EU and U.S.-related policy challenges related to powering the digital hospital and associated technologies. What are these challenges? And more importantly, what are some solutions? We'll take a look at some use cases and innovation powered by Intel Internet of Things Group. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Mooney, and I am pleased to bring on our two guests today, Patrick Brousseau, who is the Director General Industry Strategic Initiatives, MedTech Europe, and Nathan Pepper, Head of Strategy and Business Innovation, Intel Health and Life Sciences. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much, Michelle, for inviting me. Yes, absolutely. And Nathan, thank you for being here as well. Thanks, Michelle. Really excited to be here today. Yeah, we're going to have a great conversation. And before we do, I want people to know a little bit more background about both of you. So Patrick, why don't we start off with you? If you can just give us a little quick resume of uh, your background for people out there. Well, thank you, Michelle. Well, so I'm working, I've joined recently, uh, two years ago, on the MedTech Europe. MedTech Europe is the European Trade Association for the Medical Device in vitro diagnostic and digital health industries. That means our members are the 150 largest companies in medical device and IVDs operating in Europe. And we are the voice of industry when interacting with the European Commission, the European Parliament, and the European Council. All right, and Nathan? Yeah, uh, so Nate Pepper and I'm working at uh, Intel's Health and Life Sciences Group. So we're a uh, industry-focused business unit within Intel uh, and focused on how we can uh, support the you know kind of innovation ecosystem uh, technology that's applied in the healthcare realm um, and life sciences, obviously, uh, as they go uh, hand in hand. All right, so clearly you can see why we have our two guests very well qualified for the conversation at hand. So let's start off with a little bit of a background on the blueprint of the current healthcare system. We all know everything is going digital. So let's talk about how medical facilities are becoming more and more reliant on digital technology. And what does that look like with the basis of what the current healthcare system looks like and kind of where it's starting to go? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... I guess, you know, if we talk about the blueprint of the healthcare system in the U.S., for better or worse, the uh, United States healthcare system is, you know, one of the most complex in the world by far. Um, you know, but I guess uh, across the board, we can universally summarize, um, you know, those interactions between, you know, different relationships and core stakeholders as being, you know, what everybody's familiar with, the, the patients, the providers, um, payers and policymakers, you know, what's what universal knows the four P's in healthcare. Um, and as we look in depth at each category, especially in the U.S., you know, that's, that's where the complexity grows just exponentially for us, um, which is really important to have kind of a background understanding if you're looking to implement any type of, you know, new technologies, digital, digital innovation, things like that. Um, you know, beyond those kind of four core groups, you know, you also have uh, the people that are creating those, you know, innovations with the medical device companies, pharmaceutical, biotech, uh, regulators, research communities, obviously, you know, the big tech communities as well. Um, so it's 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 really gets to be a, a complex subject. Where healthcare gets really interesting in the US is kind of on the provider spectrum. The providers in the healthcare industry, you know, obviously any person or entity that provides medical care treatment, um, could be a doctor, nurse practitioner, right? Maybe, a, you know, the, the nurses, um, physician assistant. I mean, there's a whole slew of different people that work in the healthcare field that actually, you know, diagnose and treat 
um, you know, medical issues with uh, various patients, but they also have the facilities that they work in, right? So think of the urgent care clinics, emergency department of a hospital, the hospital itself, um, pharmacies, or even like medical supply companies, you know, on your way home, you've got to leave with a wheelchair or crutches or something. Um, so, you know, all these different, uh, you know, people and also locations that are, you know, supporting the, the uh, providing this care to different people. You know, a hospital health system is essentially just a, a business that's providing, you know, care to patients. Um, it's ultimately responsible for maintaining profitability, uh, ensuring its revenues outpace its costs. Uh, seems like a relatively simple problem to manage when you think about like one hospital by itself. Um, but what you put it in the context of, you know, another hospital opening across town, right, um, provides, you know, the surrounding patient population kind of choice between which facility do I want to go to, depending on what's, you know, what the circumstances are, um, really changes kind of the business strategy for that hospital as well. Um, while obviously needing to continue to provide um, care for, for patients in the area. Um, so, you know, they could differentiate, maybe provide different services. They could just operate, you know, exact same thing they've already been doing, but continue to try to lower costs. Uh, obviously, that's a huge topic in the United States is lowering healthcare costs. Um, you know, but they all, at the same time, they all have that legal obligation to provide care uh, uh, for patients. So putting kind of business competition aside, you know, there's roughly 5,000 hospitals in the U.S., and there's, you know, different variations of hospitals, depending on how you look at them. So there's for-profit centers, there's nonprofits, there's state and local government run hospitals. You know, think about the differences in incentives and decision makings across these different types of systems. You know, it could be something like a uh, another th uh, implication or something to consider is, you know, it could be a teaching hospital, right? Uh, all these physicians need to get trained, medical staff, things like that. So they've got to go through residency. Uh, it could be in an urban or a rural environment, right? Talk about a lot of these areas in the U.S. where maybe rural community hospitals are closing or, you know, not having access to care right around the corner, uh, depending on the size of the hospital, right? That's another implication um, or just the general po patient population. So really, really complex, even when you just think about like just a hospital, right? And that doesn't even include talking about the urgent care, the primary care facilities, all these other things that get integrated as well. Um, and that's really, you know, where how all these start at the individual level, right? I want to start my own practice, right? It's very individual. And that's why one of the reasons the system is so fragmented. Um, so you, you'll hear a lot of times you'll hear people talking about horizontal integration, vertical integration through M&A. And that's another big implication as we talk about these digital technologies and the ability of like interoperability and how people work together. That's a huge issue uh, for the healthcare system, um, especially when most of these things are targeted towards, you know, better patient outcomes, lower costs, improved patient experience. You know, how do we uh, care for our cl uh, clinical workers as well? Right. With the shortage of healthcare workers and everything else going on. Um, but then there's also the business and administrative side of integrating, you know, two different entities through any of these integration strategies. Um, so that's just facilities and locations, right? Uh, within, within healthcare, you know, once you get to the different relationships, uh, beyond, you know, the, the cost of the buildings, equipment, supplies, uh, talk about the relationships between the facilities and the actual physicians themselves, right? As, a, as an example, you know, they're the, the, the backbone of driving revenue for the system. So if hospitals want to find ways to lower costs, differentiate, or potentially, you know, attempt both at the same time, um, they're going to have to, you know, work with the physicians that are also aware of this kind of dynamic in the market as well, right? People want to find the best doctor. They want to go get the best care possible. They want the ones that have the best outcomes or their friends referred them to or things like that. Um, so there's a number of different professional relationships that health systems have with doctors as well. Really kind of dependent upon the situation, but it adds another layer of complexity alone just to the hospital. I just want to hit on the last part, uh, which adds, I, I think, probably the most complexity, the most administrative burden and things like that as well uh, to hospitals, which is the, the last big topic I want to hit on in the United States is just the payer aspect of healthcare in the United States, right? 
Um, so for insurance coverage in the United States, you know, those who have it could be provided by, you know, the biggest ones, right? Medicare parts A, B, C, and D. Uh, most people don't realize that Medicaid is an individual state run program. So there's 50 different state Medicaid programs, uh, or Medi-Cal, I guess, in California. There's all these different payers, uh, in the U.S. based systems as well. And that's, you know, that's not even getting into all of the hundreds of thousands of employer provided plans, uh, and their insurance companies uh, or the, in, like, you know, the individual insurance market as well. So that's where it just drastically gets, you know, exponentially complex, I believe in the U.S. Um, and it's really important to understand, at least, you know, have a grasp or be cognizant of it as you're talking about digital innovations, because that's the market that you're going into, right? In the U.S., that's the market that you have to consider. You have to think about all these different stakeholders. And as you're trying to implement or bring in a new innovation or any of these digital technologies, there's somebody in that market that's going to love it, hate it, you know, have gripes, complaints, whatever they want to have about it. Um, but you have to think about who those stakeholders are and the decision making and the revenue, you know, behind it and how it's going to be paid for and things like that. Um, because people aren't looking just to throw away money in the healthcare system, especially in the, in the United States. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of different, you know, things from a, a kind of the, the U.S. based healthcare system. Um, and this is where I think the, uh, you know, the medical device, the pharmaceutical, biotech companies, you know, all these other entities, the research communities, um, alliances, partnerships, things like that, that are really important. Um, to partner and collaborate within healthcare for better or worse, right? That's, that's the U S healthcare system. Um, and there's a lot of challenges to be solved and digital technologies, I think are really important to that. Uh, I think it just depends on, you know, really understand the context of the problem you're trying to solve and how complex the system is uh, in the U S. So we, we heard about the United States side for the healthcare system from you, Nathan. And now, Patrick, I want to turn it to you because it's really important before we go forward talking about, you know, not only the challenges, but potentially solutions, what the actual blueprint looks like. So let's talk about the Europe side of things. Patrick, can you give us insight there? So Nate described, let's say, a high level of complexity in the U.S. And I would say that it's not more simple in Europe, but the complexity is different uh, for several reasons. First, uh, you have to, rem to remember that uh, Europe is composed of 27 member states, and national uh, uh, and healthcare is a national prerogative. It means each member state can decide, uh, let's say, which healthcare policy uh, they, they will implement. It means that in terms of budget, it's not a European budget, but it is a national budget, and so the decisions are at the national level. So when we talk about the European healthcare systems, in fact, we are talking about 27 healthcare systems. And well, we could say that uh, what uh, uh, Nate said about, let's say, the U.S. is what each member state is encountering let's say, every day. So uh, the, the difference of healthcare providers, uh, let's say, the difference of, of uh, types of patients and so on. But anyway, so I, I prefer to go over, over this level to go to address the uh, European uh, uh, level. I would say it was an ex unexpected uh, impact of the COVID crisis, but COVID has been a fantastic accelerator for the adoption of uh, uh, digital uh, um, processes and digital uh, healthcare delivery. Because, well, you remember, because of sanitary reasons, because of the restrictions of movement, you know, patients or healthcare professionals couldn't meet. And the only way to keep delivering healthcare was uh, using telemedicine, telehealth, uh, and remote diagnostic, and, and many other digital-based uh, systems. So in uh, maybe in two years, the deployment 
of digital health technologies has accelerated tremendously. Uh, digital technologies can help uh, empowering patients and can help the healthcare delivery. So wh where do we stand also on healthcare delivery? Europe has a strong, let's say, a, a research uh, base to support the development of innovative uh, technologies, where we have a strong academic network and a, a, a quite good community of innovative uh, startups and small and medium enterprises. And this is where innovation in digital health is taking place. Usually, once the technologies are de-risked, then the large companies are taking these technologies over and bring them to the market through the regulatory uh, pathway. Another specificity of Europe is because we have these 27 member states, we are uh, very uh, conscious about, let's say, the cross-border uh, 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 movement of data, of patients, uh, of samples, and uh, this is also a specific point which has been uh, crucial during the uh, pandemic because uh, patients have, some patients have moved from one country to the next. So then we realize the importance, let's say, of uh, uh, data transfer. And as Nate, said, uh, as Nate mentioned, the uh, key uh, question of interoperability, interoperability of systems, interoperability of data, interoperability of fines. Now the 27 member states have agreed to have more uh, priorities and more policy decided at the European level and no longer at the national level. Okay, so let's talk about a hot topic right now, Innovative Health Initiative or IHI. What do we need to know about it and what's the potential impact? So IHI, standing for Innovative Health Initiative, is a new pan-European public-private partnership. Public means the European Commission representing public health, and private means the life science industries represented by five big trade associations from the pharma, medtech, and biotech uh, sectors. The main objective of this uh, public-private partnership is to improve healthcare delivery for the benefit of European uh, citizens and patients. So industry, and what is really important is here, we have this cross-sectorial approach where pharma works hand-in-hand -hand with the medtech sector and the biotech sector. We develop hand-in-hand -hand innovative research and innovation projects, but it's not pharma only. It's with a whole panel of public stakeholders like academics, healthcare professionals, patients, regulators, procurers, buyers, and many other, other stakeholders uh, involved in one way or another in the uh, healthcare value chain. So if you mix all together, all these stakeholders, let's say at the research and innovation stage, it means probably that the solutions and the product you will develop together will be uh, better integrated in the uh, uh, everyday uh, healthcare delivery uh, systems because they have been prepared in advance and approved in advance by all the stakeholders. In other words, we try to save time and resources by pooling resources. So we expect, let's say, a significant uh, change in uh, the development of innovative product and solution and their facilitated um, integration in the healthcare systems. But it's not only a European-only partnership. 
because, well, as you know, most uh, uh, life science companies are global companies with uh, centers all over uh, the world, including in the U.S. So the U.S. centers of excellence of global companies can contribute to this European public-private partnership under certain conditions, but it is one way for Europe, let's say, to um, get access to the latest knowledge and scientific excellence available here and there. Nathan, let's talk about the United States standpoint with that. Uh, what is the response? What's the potential impact? How does that affect things in the U.S. with the IHI? Absolutely. Um, I absolutely love this type of initiative, especially in a global market, right? Um, that open kind of cross-industry collaborations, you know, to bring these different complex uh, perspectives and address these complex problems are definitely the the way forward to help simplify the complexity um, that Patrick kind of outlined there, right? With a uh, you know, how, how are you actually going to integrate? How are you going to implement these types of technologies, you know, beyond just the development of them? There's a lot of steps that go on beyond that. You know, if everybody can come together, uh, definitely makes it, you know, something that raises the water for all boats. Um, I think that's what else is really exciting about these, uh, kind of like we said, is how uh, complex everything is from the technology, you know, um, being used to how it's implemented. Um, is that everybody's bringing their own area of expertise to the table uh, in a collaborative, like cooperative, uh, kind of open innovation ecosystem. Um, and it really helps break down a lot of those individual silos as people try to innovate in silos and capitalize on markets um, and wasting time on the same issues potentially or some something that someone else has already run into, um, you know, or just trying to get up on the learning curve because you're a, a life sciences company, but now you're trying to understand how to train different AI models or set up all that infrastructure, right? Cloud, you know, on-prem, whatever it is. So um, it really lets people kind of operate within their core competencies and kind of come together and leverage the best of what everybody can bring to the table. Let's talk about policy because, of course, policy plays a large role in the adoption of changes anywhere, but especially when we're talking about the medical field. So what challenges are seen when it comes to overcoming uh, the limit of the efficiency of life-changing technologies in, in some regards, what are the potential solutions to overcome those obstacles to make things more efficient? Well, policy for healthcare delivery is discussed at the member state level in Europe and more recently at the European level. So we have to combine Let's say these two levels, which is not an uh, always easy uh, pathway, but it is improving. Now there are more and more European regulations that are applied, let's say, all over the European territory, but sometimes they need to be uh, translated in national regulations. So this is a legal aspect. What we are facing also is the uh, lack of interoperability standards. I mentioned already it's not only cross-border interoperability, but even within a, a, a country, it's a between the, the general practitioner office, the community care, the university hospital. But you cannot imagine, let's say, how sometimes let's say, the lack of interoperability are making the, the, the healthcare level crazy. Things are improving because now we have more and more regulation that are discussed at the national level and other, sorry, European level and that would be applied as such by all the member states. And Nathan, did you want to follow up with that? Yeah. Um, so I think from the American healthcare, you know, uh, complexity, right? Uh, so many different stakeholders propose changes. Um, policy is uh, like a critical aspect of this, like Patrick just mentioned. And I think, you know, even though people see it as a constraint, 
Um, once you know that we're actually debating policies and trying to get things in effect, we've, we've already recognized that there's a problem that we need to address. Um, you know, and while there's like a massive number of people within the U.S. Uh, healthcare system that are going to analyze the you know potential impact of any changes or you know piece of this puzzle, um, you know, it, it obviously could result in lobbying efforts and pushback and things like that. Um, so I think you know one thing that you can really do to to help overcome that is bring kind of this overwhelming evidence, you know, or a coalition of stakeholders, you know, things like the IHI, um, other alliances, uh, obviously as you're going you know into policy meetings and things like that. Um, and bring those stakeholders to the table with that supporting evidence, um, you know, for the discussion. Uh, specific to like digital capabilities, uh, you know, in the U.S., I think digital access and digital literacy for patients and, you know, the providers is uh, ultimately, you know, what some of the most critical things. The data is like very critical, I think, in the healthcare domain for a lot of these innovations, right? Um, so it really comes into, you know, play with privacy and security concerns, like a number of really great uh, innovations in security uh, and artificial intelligence, right? Between digital access and, you know, finding ways that technology actually supports healthcare in the system that healthcare is kind of created. Um, and, you know, depending on what your level of expertise is, but bringing that to the table, we're going to find a lot of really innovative ways that policy is not going to be the barrier. Uh, but there's going to be a lot of things that we just kind of have to operate within those domains and understand how we can kind of overcome some of those challenges. Because um, policy is, you know, just the first step of admitting that we have a problem that we need to address. So, Nate, let's zero in on uh, a keyword implementation, which is, you know, I would say that the main kind of crux of, of why we're here today. So with regard to enhancing the efficiency of digital technology implementation, who has the most to gain? And on the flip side, who has the most to lose if we can't get up to the level where things could be? Yeah, so I think on the implementation side, um, I think everybody's familiar with the the fact that there's inequitable access to healthcare. That's not just a US based problem. That's a global, you know, worldwide issue of, you know, the, the haves and have nots. Um, you know, healthcare providers that are building an innovation culture, um, you know, and have that self-awareness to know if they either have like the in-house expertise to take on some of these projects and the big well-known brands in healthcare, you know, the Mayo's, the Cleveland Clinics, uh, HCAs, you know, some of these big ones and also the the smaller players or, you know, maybe the, some of the more rural community hospitals or ones that are really just taking on big innovations. Um, that have that self-awareness to decide if they want to try to do that themselves or partner with technology companies. Um, they're really the ones, you know, to, to focus on. Um, I think the stakeholders that truly understand these dilemmas and understand their customers, um, because the solutions are not one size fits all, um, they're the ones that have the most to gain uh, within like the region of where the patients and the healthcare workers uh, for the uh, those providers, right? So. Um, you know, you talk about things like shortage of healthcare workers, you talk about things like patient access, you know, to, to these services. Um, they're the ones that have the most to gain, uh, through, you know, this kind of self-awareness and implementation, um, which, which is really important. I think the most to lose, however, is almost the same kind of spin on this from the healthcare provider side. That's uh, really the business side of the providers, right? Uh, you talk about consumerism of healthcare, you talk about healthcare worker shortages and burnouts. Um, it can really turn into almost like a, a death spiral for a business that doesn't want to figure out this implementation and really think through and make, you know, uh, big strides towards, you know, the adoption of digital technologies. Um, it's really going to, you know, reduce the number of patients that want to come to the hospital. It's going to reduce the number of uh, care providers that want to work in those facilities as well. Um, so I think it's really going to be an issue uh, for those that aren't willing to take the leap and either, you know, figure it out the attempt to figure it out themselves or, you know, partner with those that are more uh, experienced or have a, you know, expertise needed to implement. And Patrick, did you want to follow up on that? 
Yes. What I'm personally thinking uh, that digital technologies is a fantastic enabler, and uh, it will sooner or later uh, improve the delivery of, of healthcare. Let's say in um, central facilities like hospitals, but also uh, at the patient's house. And for me, maybe the biggest impact of digital technologies is the change of relationship between the patient and the healthcare professionals. Until now, you know, the, the uh, healthcare professional had the knowledge, had the capacity to process data, to make a diagnostic and to cure. Now, the, uh, because of digital technologies, not only, but because of digital technologies, patients are empowered like never before. There is a huge uh, digital divide between the rich and the poor, between the old and the young, between cities and rural areas. But this is the case today. But uh, let's say I, I see these situations improving every day. So I, I'm reasonably optimistic that uh, situation will improve the healthcare delivery. And I would say if you look at some uh, current deployment is assisted uh, 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 diagnostic decision support systems, which are, let's say, changing. It could be, let's say, at the patient's level or at the, 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 the GP or even at the uh, healthcare professional level. But we, we have, let's say, numerous examples on how digital is already uh, helping the diagnostic and then uh, sometimes therapy. What, what we also, or, or also witness, uh, let's say that um, many solutions are considering the patient or the citizen at the center, which is very positive because it will uh, probably um, facilitate the adoption of these technologies uh, by um, let's say, citizens and patients. And uh, I, I think this is the best way uh, to get, to see digital solutions adopted by a wider community. So you talked about, we're going in the right direction. And that's the good thing. We're talking about baby steps here, because it's, it's not going to be an overnight fix here. So what do we see in the future, three to five years out? What direction or where are we heading, rather? I cannot give, let's say, a comprehensive view but uh, if you look, if you talk about three, five years uh, time frame, I can expect, let's say, a wider development of remote monitoring uh, um, techniques and products for teleconsultation, telemedicine. Uh, as I mentioned already, the uh, deployment of AI in many and very diverse uh, products uh, will help to improve diagnostic and uh, to uh, diagnostic for for or, or by patients and uh, diagnostic by uh, healthcare professionals with the uh, decision support systems. Uh, of course, robotics is also let's say a fast developing uh, uh, industry and product, and uh, what I call enhance patient experience because uh, patients now have a better control of their data and have access to uh, apps or to services that help them some kind of analyzing, even in a simple way, their data. It is one way to empower them and to have uh, uh, maybe a, a 
better and more successful relationship with their healthcare professionals. And all in all, at the end, it leads to a patient empower empowerment, which I think is a very good evolution of healthcare delivery. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like Patrick just said, healthcare uh, as a digital industry has recently been accelerated by the pandemic, right? Um, so I think when we talk about things like uh, not only digital access, but the digital literacy, uh, like Patrick mentioned on the, on the provider side, um, making sure they understand all these innovative tools, how do they best implement them in their practices, uh, how do more and more patients get access to them. Um, I think that's something that's definitely going to be uh, a big focus in the next three to five years. Um, I think healthcare overall, most people would um, would consider more of a technology laggard uh, in response to, you know, kind of across industries. It's a little bit slower to adopt a lot of these futuristic technologies or things that are, you know, um, recent innovations. Um, so I think because of this acceleration that's happened because of the pandemic as well, and this kind of forced adoption, there's going to be a lot of focus on, you know, the the unexpected complexities, corner cases, and other consequences um, will be one of the major focuses uh, in this time frame. The one that I'm, I'm personally more excited for um, is I think as we continue to push forward on some of the more recent innovations in like AI, software as a medical device, cybersecurity, things like that, is I think there's going to be a huge focus on how do we manage or regulate a lot of these more dynamic systems that aren't static. You can't just put a you know particular regulation law rule in place or you know go through certification process and then never touch it again because that's not how some of these futuristic technologies exist and are going to actually provide uh, ongoing impact, right? Um, so really, you know, these new ways about thinking about healthcare regulation. Uh, and I think, you know, things like IHI, a lot of these big kind of cross industry collaborator initiatives and how to implement and support um, is where, you know, a lot of these um, really exciting things are going to get solved or, or discussed uh, in a way that's actually going to make an impact. Yeah, and it, it's up to a lot of people, not just one person or one yeah. entity can make that change. So let's talk about call to action here. What can companies in both Europe and the United States do to bring about some of those positive changes? Yeah, so uh, from, from my perspective, uh, the biggest thing that I think people can do is understand your strengths and weaknesses, understand your core competencies, and just partner and collaborate. I think everybody that's involved in the healthcare industry is just part of this greater sense of purpose to like do good for the community, do good for the globe, do good for people, you know, everywhere. Um, so I think it's really just, you know, collaborate, you know, bring your knowledge, bring your lessons learned, you know, bring everything you can to the, to the table to help solve these big issues because it's not, it's not something, uh, insignificant, right? Health, healthcare, uh, the delivery of healthcare, the patients that's providing, you know, access for, uh, the the impacts and long-term implications of drug developments, vaccines, things like that across the globe, like those are massively uh, important problems to solve and nobody can do it alone, right? So I, I think the, the big call to action for me is, you know, just collaborate, um, work with others. Um, and, you know, if it's not within your domain, you know, if you're a technology company, make sure you're partnering with healthcare providers. If you're a healthcare provider, make sure you're partnering with technology companies the regulation, all the various different stakeholders that we've discussed today are kind of, you know, lightly hit on. Um, just try to get everybody at the table. Uh, and I think that'll be the biggest thing that we can do to, to have a positive impact on healthcare across the globe. I would not differ significantly from, from Nate. Uh, I really believe that well, there are fantastic products and solutions under development and tested in, in uh, clinical settings. But more important is, let's say, a quick access to the market and access to patients so that patients and citizens can access quickly to the latest innovation. 
And in order to do so, as Nate mentioned earlier, you know, we all the different stakeholders along the value chain have to work hand in hand. It means, uh, as we are experiencing in IHI, you know, it's the medtech sector working, let's say, with in vitro diagnostic sector with the digital companies, uh, with the pharma sector, just to make sure that uh, we we look at a smooth implementation uh, of uh, the, the future solutions. But it's also working with healthcare providers, patients, uh, uh, advocacy groups, uh, citizens, just to make sure that what is developed is fully aligned with our expectations. And last but not least, with regulators. And as uh, Nate mentioned, uh, the, the, the intrinsic uh, specificity of digital is its fast uh, evolution. And uh, if when we talk about regulation, we are really referring to a fast uh, regulation or, or fast evolving regulation. So here we have a, 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 a key point to address for developing, let's say, agile regulation specifically when addressing uh, uh, the regulation of uh, digital healthcare solutions. It, it supposes, let's say, a dialogue with the regulators just to make sure that, okay, the, the regulation will adapt to the, to the pace of uh, development of digital technologies. I will officially close things out here. So I want to thank both of our guests, Patrick Brousseau, Director General, Industry Strategic Initiatives, MedTech Europe, and Nathan Pepper, Head of Strategy and Business Innovation, Intel Health and Life Sciences. Some great conversation. We talk about some challenges, but more importantly, we talked about some solutions. So thank you both for being here today. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate being here as well. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasant experience. It definitely was a great conversation. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Health and Life Sciences at the Edge podcast, a podcast that makes sense of use cases across industry, brought to you by the Intel Internet of Things group. I'm your host, Michelle Dawn Booney. And if you would like to hear more from the podcast, be sure to follow along so you can hear more from the Intel Internet of Things group. Have a great day, and we will see you soon.